Well, it is eight o'clock, so we're going to begin. Welcome everybody. My name is Randy Hunter, and I'll explain a little bit more about who I am and, and what's happening here in just a minute. I hope you had time to download the study guide. If not, maybe you could send someone to do that now and make some copies for everybody who's there. Uh, the front page of the study guide has some good information for you. Before I even get into that, uh, I presume, because I've heard from some of you, that there are single people in this audience and there are married people in this audience. And I think that's fantastic. Here's what uh, we all know. Everybody wants marriages to be healthy. If you're single, you want healthy marriages. Uh, if you're a single guy, you don't want your friend breaking up and coming to crash on your couch. And if you're a single woman, you, you don't want married men hitting on you somewhere. So, you know, we all want strong marriages. And if you're married, well, of course you do. So I think tonight it works really well for all of us to be together. There will be a couple of times when I ask couples to turn to each other to have a conversation just between a husband and wife. Those might be a little awkward for the single people who are there. Uh, maybe have that same conversation about how you might answer with another single person. Uh, that might not be weird at all. Moving on, though, I do have to warn you that the next three Wednesdays, there will be much more of that as we focus in on helping couples have important conversations and apply truths. Single people are still welcome, but there will be more of that conversation between couples. So with that, on the front page of the, your study guide, you have an explanation of this, so I won't belabor that point. Uh, I am teaching you because I'm a teacher for Wells Marriage Enrichment and Getaway Weekends. We write a new one every year. It usually involves five to six hours of teaching from Friday evening through Sunday morning. And people come to it and are enriched, and pastors come to it, and uh, they get the reason. Not only are they and their wives enriched, but they get the resource to take home to their churches and then use there and teach to everybody in their churches. But the only way for them to get it is to come to the live event with their wives and then get the resource, take home, and uh, teach it in their congregations. Uh, the bottom half of that front page of the study guide is the schedule of 2017 Wells Marriage Enrichment and Getaway Weekends. Um, with one exception, I am happy to note we are in some conversations with Pastor Dobler, who's, who's with us here tonight, and others in the Northern California area. Uh, it looks like possibly mid-September, we will be bringing a Wells Marriage Enrichment and Getaway Weekend to uh, somewhere in the Northern California area, uh, Santa Rosa, Napa Valley, somewhere in that area. Sounds like a very nice place to take each other away, to give each other um, the attention you need and your marriage needs in mid-September. That date and information isn't on there. Perhaps by the last uh, time we gather for this marriage study, uh, three weeks from now, or on the fourth one, I'll be able to give you specifics about that or include it on the download anyway. If you are seated as a couple, if you're doing this at home as a couple, well, there'll be times when uh, you'll have a conversation as a couple, which is just great. If you're doing this in a classroom, it would be good to get into groups of oh, uh, two couples or three couples, whatever works out best for you, 
move the chairs so that two or three couples are sitting together or sitting around in a circle. Uh, for some activities coming up, it'll just work better that way. Someone who's about to get married asks you, what have you found to be the secret of marriage? What would you tell him or her? Don't say anything yet. Uh, in fact, it, you'll notice that, that you'll see these three little icons as we proceed through the evening, the next hour. There is an icon of a little guy thinking. Uh, that means it's time just for you to do some quiet. I'm going to change this so you can see that. Sorry about that. That means it's time for you to do some private thinking. There really are those who need to think before they speak. Uh, that's how they learn. So out of respect, and there are others who learn by talking, the ones who say, uh, just hear me out, I gotta talk this through, and we gotta get along together. So there will be times we'll take just 30 seconds, a minute of silence, and just ask everybody in the room to respect that while we have time to think and the person who needs to think to prepare to speak will really appreciate that. The middle icon shows that there's some work to be done together as a group. There's a task to solve. There's a problem to solve. There's some work to be done. And then you'll teach the rest of us. And then the icon of the couple talking to each other. Obviously, that's an activity just for the two of you to have. If marriage involves conversations that are sometimes private, and we'll respect that, and those will be conversations that the two of you can have together. Well, I'm having some technical difficulty here. Bear with me. Whoops. Okay. I think we got it. Uh, time for some introductions. Now, if there are two of you sitting in a room, this won't take long. If there are several of you, just introduce yourselves to the people in your group. So two or three couples, and not necessarily everybody in the room, but just the two or three couples sitting together in a group. Tell each other your name and that secret that you would tell the engaged person who asks you. Uh, it doesn't take long, about 30 seconds each, so I'll be back in about two minutes, and then we'll continue.
somebody asked where you can get the link for the study guide. Uh, Jake Miller, who's with me here, is working on the other side of the camera and technology here. He is going to try and post that link for you here shortly. Well, you've introduced yourselves. Let me introduce myself. Most people want to know who's this guy on the other side of the camera. My name is Randy Hunter, and I have been married to Karen. Her maiden name was Yankee for 32 years. I married her when she was 12, so you would do the math. She is a music teacher. She is extremely gifted and uh, just has been an amazing blessing and support to me. Uh, I am so grateful and so blessed to be married to Karen. Um, this is not the way we dress for church. No, we don't do that. Uh, but we were attending a, a fundraiser for a local uh, charity, and uh, so we got dressed up for that. Uh, this is what we do for fun. We sail, and uh, if you like that, get a hold of us. Maybe you can join in our next group. We, we load couples up on big boats uh, on either coast and then sail for a few days and uh, enjoy God's, God's nature that way. And, uh, yeah, we do that for fun. God has blessed us with kids. We have three of them. Uh, Phil, this is a wedding picture from a year ago. Phil and Andrea, uh, their wedding. Phil is our son. He is a pastor in Menasha, at Bethel in Menasha. He's bilingual, so he is part of the Spanish uh, ministry there, the outreach to Spanish-speaking people in Menasha. Blessed to, to be a part of that and enjoys it very much. Andrea, his wife, was in China as a teacher and other work and then working for Asia Lutheran Seminary uh, in their development work. Uh, so she speaks Cantonese. Um, and she also speaks Spanish now, too, because she's a great help to Phil in that Spanish ministry. And those two just surprised us. They gave us some really good news. They're going to have a baby boy. And um, Karen and I are trying to figure out, is he going to speak English or Spanish or Cantonese? Because um, we will not be able to communicate well in two-thirds of those languages. But we're, we're blessed and, and uh, happy that happy for them. On the other end of Karen and me, on the opposite end of that wedding picture, is our daughter Paige and her husband on the far end, Jonathan. Paige and Jonathan are in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Paige is a uh, physician's assistant in family medicine, and John is a resident, first-year resident at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, also in family medicine. Jack, the uh, single guy in a gray suit, is our son. We're happy to say he is completing his commitment to the Army National Guard, and he will complete that in just a couple months, and he'll be done with that, which is really good timing because Jack is also a second-year student at our seminary. He uh, will complete his guard duty in time to go vicaring, God willing, and go spend a year vicaring under uh, another pastor with another church, and then go back to seminary the way it works in our system for another year of school so that in two years, he too will be eligible for a call to serve as a pastor. That's our family. And since we're talking about marriage, it seems that you should know something about them. I have served St. Andrew Church in Middleton. That's on the west side of Madison for about for 31 years. What a blessing to be part of this people, this church and serve these people. Uh, I am so grateful uh, that the Lord has allowed me this privilege. That's a, just a terrific group of people and uh, what they do for marriage is also terrific. They support this, for one thing. Uh, one church that supports the Wisconsin Synod's marriage ministry in so many ways, including letting me go teach somewhere else 
um, so often throughout the year. Go, Pastor, they say. Go, just go. You can leave for a weekend. Go. And I never quite know how to take that when a church tells its pastor to just go. But I take that in the kindest possible way. They're very supportive of this marriage ministry. This is brought to you also by Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod Commission on Adult Discipleship. These are the kinds of things that our Adult Discipleship Commission helps churches with. One of them is marriage ministry. I am also the founder and teacher of graceformarriage.com. These are Lutheran law and gospel oriented practical best practices, Bible teaching materials for churches and for individuals to benefit from their videos. So it makes it easier for busy pastors to teach and people at home to view on their own. All the information you need on that is at graceformarriage.com. But you came here for mysterious marriage. And you've already been thinking about the mystery that is marriage. If an engaged person asked you, you know, what's the secret to being married, what would you tell him or her? Um, you've already been thinking about the mystery of marriage. And it is a mystery. Paul calls it a profound mystery. But it's the kind of mystery that God does unravel for us and a mystery we can solve. Here's what we'll do tonight. Discover the mystery of marriage. What we're heading toward is the second bullet, to determine the biblical secret for living together in marriage. But we'll start with this. Recognize marriage the way it is today. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us so many great gifts. Chief among them is uh, the gift of your son. Along with that comes everything else in our lives, so much better including marriage. We thank you for the gift of marriage, and we ask that tonight you help us understand better your plan for it and be able to put it into practice in a way that demonstrates the great gift that it is. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, contrary to popular opinion, Marriage did not evolve at the end of the late Bronze Age as a way of settling property disputes. Marriage is God's idea. History began with marriage. The Lord God bringing Eve to Adam. And by the way, the history of this physical world will end with marriage. When the Lord Jesus returns, the wedding supper of the Lamb for you, his bridegroom, his, his bride. So, so marriage is God's idea from beginning to end. So it makes sense to understand what he has to say about it, but we live now in this time. So it also makes sense to understand what marriage looks like today. Page two of your study guide. You'll see two boxes, or two columns rather. The left column is the way historically Christian churches have looked at marriage. Um, as I read it, you underline what you see as key purposes of marriage. When God in love created the world, he made man and woman in his own image and bonded them together in marriage. Through this blessed union of husband and wife, God established the family, provided for the physical and spiritual welfare of children, and fostered the peace and stability of society. Now, I can imagine what you underlined. You underlined the family, peace, 
stability, providing for children. And that's pretty much the way Christian churches have seen it over the years. No, I know the Catholic Church turned it into a sacrament, and Lutheran and Protestant churches see it as something that's good for society and good for children and good for the family, but both pretty much saw marriage in similar ways. Now look at the right column and tell me your observations. What's changed? I'm going to pause. You type in your observations into the say something box and we'll get to see what we're thinking. By the way, there's about a 20 second lag between my talking and you writing. So go ahead and write whenever you have an observation about the change in marriage that you see from the observations of the modern era. Tell me your observations. Good. Very different, isn't it, from the left column? Used to be seen as a public institution for the common good, and now it's pretty much for me. And that maybe explains, if it's just for me, and if I don't like the way it's going, then maybe I won't be married, or won't stay married which also would then explain why the graph of the percentage of U.S. adults who are married looks like this. Less and less popular. There is a box on page three of your study guide. This is time for some private thinking again. It says three minutes. We're not going to quite take that much time. <clears throat> two minutes of silence. Well, you just, yeah, and you can't read all that in two minutes, but, but, Peruse it, review it, and see what strikes you, and privately draw two conclusions about marriage today. At the end of three minutes, you'll tell the others in your group, but for now, just private, quiet thinking time.
Well, you could use more time, but take what you have now. And at your table or in your group, agree on two conclusions about marriage today. So you'll need to tell each other and agree on two that you want to tell the rest of us. Now, I know the screen says three minutes. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is as soon as you get these conclusions, please type them into the say something box because of the lag time that will help all of us stay together. Uh, if you need someone to run the event for your group, it's the one who got out of bed earliest today. And he kind of takes charge of it or she and relay your group's conclusions. You're not going to teach the others live, but you're going to type them into the say something box. Make sense? You have three minutes. Well, thank you for your very good observations about marriage today. Kind of hard, isn't it, to read those comments? Uh, I suspect there's a lot of pain that you've either seen or even experienced behind some of those comments, and they're all very true. And I got to tell you, we're going to stick with this, and it's even going to get a little worse before we get to God's answer. 
The answer does not come from Plato. Plato, not Plato, Plato, P-L-A-T-O, lived about 400 years before Christ, and he wrote a make-believe book, a make-believe story, fiction, about gods who created people with four arms, four legs, two heads, and both male and female genitalia. Then the gods looked at this being they had created and determined that could become more powerful than we are. And so the gods decided to split this person right down the middle, creating male and female. The problem was the soul got cut in half. And so they shared a soul, but their bodies were separated. And ever since then, every man and every woman is searching for that one person who's his or her soul mate. That's where that expression comes from. Now listen, you may have used that expression as a term of endearment, sort of a fun way of expressing the connection that the two of you enjoy, and God bless you for it. But I want all of us to consider whether or not we're well-served or the people around us are well-served by using that expression. I have heard a single person say, I'm not going to get married until I find my soulmate. And I have heard a married person say, Pastor, I have found my soulmate, and it's not my spouse. So the term soulmate does not always serve us well. What do people even mean? Name one trait someone might think would make for the perfect soulmate. Now, I've seen some things on the feed here. You can go ahead and enter them. There's a little bit of a lag, but I've seen some things in your answers. Um, someone who uh, is perfectly compatible with me, someone uh, who's uh, physically attracted to me and, and will always be that way in, in some form or another. Uh, I'm going to pause for a little bit and let you catch up. The traits, a trait someone might think would make for the perfect soul mate. Katie said it's a, all about the level of happiness, somebody who brings me that level of happiness even. And Carla's on a good track there. I think that's, a, that's absolutely true. Someone who has the same values would be a good kind of soulmate. I don't know if that's always what people are thinking of, but for some, sure, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's more along the lines of a perfect match, someone who's maybe just like me. Um, there are good ways to look at it, and that's very charitable, and then there are other ways that people have seen soul mate. Look at the box on the bottom of page four. There's a New York Times Magazine article there. I'm not going to read it to you. I just pause for a minute while you take a look at the first few sentences. You do get the impression that there are those who would have rejected Jesus Christ as a mate because he had facial hair or something. And if you're looking for the wrong things for a soulmate, 
could look for a long time. You know, there actually is research on what men think of. Now, I didn't find research for what women think of as the perfect soulmate, but the traits that men identify as important for a soulmate, well, what do you think? Remember, this is a survey of men. The number one trait, this is men, the number one trait that men would think of as an important trait in finding a soulmate Well, that's number two. <laughs> you were probably thinking that's number one. And of course you want to be physically attracted to the person you're going to marry. But that can also get out of whack, right? That guy who's got abs of steel could end up having abs of flab. That, that girl who is so hot with a barbed wire tattoo around her bicep, as she ages, that barbed wire could turn into a picket fence. So things change physically. No, the number one trait identified by men in this survey of a soulmate is compatibility. That sounds good, doesn't it? I think so. You want to marry someone you're compatible with until you then ask the men, well, define compatibility. And here were the responses. A willingness to accept me as I am without trying to change me. Trying to find a woman who will fit into my life. And if you're truly compatible, you don't have to change. So here's marriage today as it's portrayed in our culture. Unhappy people resisting marriage as long as possible until you can find that one person who won't require you to change. Sort of a soulmate slash babe. The problem is, Marriage itself changes us. We want to get to the biblical secret for living together in marriage. Now, if it's biblical, it's true, right? The Bible is true. So if this is a biblical secret, it's the truth about living together in marriage. Have you ever heard someone say it shouldn't be so hard to be married? This shouldn't be so hard? Well, anybody here a baseball player? If someone wants to play professional baseball, would he say, it shouldn't be so hard to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball? No. Any aspiring authors here? If someone wants to write the great American novel, would he or she say, it shouldn't be so hard to write a compelling storyline with characters that draw you in and keep you turning pages until 3 in the morning? Well, okay, yeah, 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 you'd say, but, but this isn't baseball, this isn't writing, this is love, and it shouldn't be so hard. Well, the biblical response to that is, it's hard because no two people are compatible. Now, some of you are bristling at that, but if compatibility is your reason for marriage, you probably never marry the right person because soon after your marriage, you change. Really, do you ever know the person you're marrying? Someone came up alongside of me in the atrium of church and uh, said something like, uh, though there was a couple getting married after only dating a couple of months and then a one-month engagement and then married. And this person came up alongside of me in the atrium and said, Pastor, do you think that's a good idea? I mean, they don't even know each other. 
To which I replied, do we ever? And even when we do, we change. Now, I suppose there are some people who are really incompatible, right? If you, if you don't speak the same language, if you're a generation or two different, well, of course, that's, that's a different story. But marriage itself changes us. And anybody married any length of time will tell you that. You learn to love the person you didn't marry. And, uh, and so does your spouse. Marriage changes us. And you learn to make changes that you didn't know you'd have to make. And so will your spouse. Marriage is such a big institution, it changes us. We're in the booklet on page four, the study guide, rather, on page four. This is for couples. One way marriage has changed me for the better, now not your spouse, that's a, that's a different discussion right there, but one way that marriage has changed me for the better, just prepare to tell your spouse, think, I'll be quiet for about 30 seconds while you think and maybe write down an answer, and then I'll tell you when it's time and you can turn and tell just your spouse. Well, that's about 30 seconds. When you're ready, turn to your spouse. Have this quiet conversation just between the two of you. One way marriage has changed me for the better. And you have a minute or two to do that together. Well, you might have spoken about a, a healthy habit that you've picked up, a better way of handling finances, a different way of making decisions, a skill you've acquired, an interest you've gained, some trait that you've grown in. Marriage itself changes us, often for the better. There are more reasons, though, for our incompatibility. We are on page... Five. Um, I don't know if I told you that or if you caught on already, but we are on page five of the uh, student guide, the uh, of the guide. 
you have three more reasons no two people are compatible. The one we said, well, marriage changes us. We change, marriage changes us. And here are two more, and th three more, and they're Bible verses. Uh, they're listed for you there. They're printed out, so you don't have to look them up. Genesis 3, Romans 7, and Mark 7. And underneath each, it says reason. So find three more reasons no two people are compatible. And uh, would you please put them into the say something box as soon as you get them. Just work on this uh, as a group, and as soon as somebody has something from that verse, enter it as a reason that we're not compatible. Thanks, Carla. Satan's been telling us lies since the beginning. And we have not been able to shake sin, have we? We have this nature that that is fallen and that just clings to us. Blame game? Yeah, because I don't want to give away what's in my heart. And uh, that's the Mark 7 passage. This, this comes right from me. So if, if this is who we are, why would sinful people suddenly become angels when they get married? The Bible doctrine of sin explains why no two people are compatible. Raw natural talent doesn't explain how you can hit a fastball in the major leagues. Raw natural talent doesn't explain how you can write that best-selling novel. And raw natural talent doesn't explain how you can have a good marriage. A good marriage is, is painfully more work than any athletic or artistic endeavor. It's so much easier to believe the lie that if I had just found my soulmate, everything would be so much better. But that makes your spouse into a god. And no god can stand that kind of pressure. At the same time, there's never been a culture we know of where marriage in some form hasn't been central to life. Ever since the time the Lord brought Eve to Adam and Adam exclaimed, whoa, this is for me. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The problem isn't with marriage. Marriage is great. Marriage is God's gift to us. The problem often though is our view of marriage. Either too pessimistic, I'll never get married because, or too romantic, I'm waiting for my soulmate. There's a better way. On the next page of your study guide, page six, you see this instruction. Create two lists, things Jesus has done on the left side, and then benefits we receive on the right side. So look at all these passages and uh, wherever you find something Jesus has done, go ahead and list it on the left side. And wherever you find some benefits that we receive, go ahead and list it on the right side. If you need someone to keep your group in on task here, make it the last one out of bed this morning. But I presume it's the person at the keyboard who can feel free to enter any information you want to teach the rest of us and the say something uh, box.
So that's your task for the next four minutes. Thank you, Carl. You went right to the big benefit, didn't you? And Janet, thank you for pointing out Jesus' obedience, the kind we have not offered, but the kind he did. There are others coming in, I'm sure. And I imagine you wrote things in the left column that sound like Jesus' humiliation, setting aside his power in order to serve and to save us, how he bore our shame, how he bore our guilt and, and ultimately his death. And I imagine on the right side, you listed things like now we're united with him and we have all of his promises that we can trust and, and we participate in the divine. In other words, the Holy Spirit is within us. And finally, one day we will escape corruption and we will shake off this sinful nature and, and be able to live without it. <clears throat> if God had in mind that gospel of Jesus everything on the left side. When he instituted marriage, and he did, he knew those things would happen, then we can really only live in marriage the way he intended when we understand that gospel, his selfless love for us in Christ. The gospel is this, although we are more fallen uh, and sinful than we ever imagined, we are more forgiven and received by God, because of Jesus, and in Jesus, than we ever dreamed. 
Christianity is this. Jesus is God who comes to earth and he lives in our place and he dies in our place. And he sends the spirit to give us faith to trust him. And he continues to give us gifts like marriage through which we live out this mystery of what it is to follow him. Marriage is this, a man and a woman equally fallen and equally forgiven and received by God to forgive and to keep each other. Pretty simple. The gospel of Jesus saves us and shows us how to be married. And then marriage shows our appreciation for the gospel of Jesus. Say you wanted to take an exotic vacation, an extravagant vacation, but you couldn't afford it. And someone came along and gave you a gift, handed you all the cash that you needed for this exotic vacation, so you could take the vacation. Describe for me the relationship between that gift and your vacation. Oh, you could say that the gift enabled the vacation. You had this vision, but you couldn't accomplish it. Somebody came along who allows you to accomplish it by the gift. Use Ephesians 5, now we're on page 7 in your study guide, especially verses 22, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, and chapter 5, verse 25, to describe the relationship between the gospel and marriage. Takes a little thought. I'm going to have to go deep on this one, but describe the relationship between the gospel, what God has done for you in Jesus, and your marriage. You have two minutes. As soon as you, as soon as you have answers, begin to enter them into the say something box.
thank you for your responses. You're really grabbing this. This, this is marriage, that the Savior gives his life for you. That's the gospel. The Savior gives you your spouse. That's your marriage. And now we're trying to see how the two of those fit together. The gospel of Jesus is the gift that makes it possible for marriage to be the way he wants it to be, for me to put the other person first. That's the word submit. Willingly let somebody else have his or her way instead of insisting on my own way. And the gospel of Jesus, the one who's treated me like that, who's, who's given up for me, for my benefit, allows me and moves me to treat my spouse that way. When my spouse puts me first ahead of herself, that's a picture for me of the gospel. When I think to put my spouse ahead of myself, that's a picture for her of the gospel. This is the mega mystery that Paul wrote about. You see it in that same reading in verse 32. This is a profound mystery, this relationship between the gospel and marriage. Mega mysterion, you Greek scholars, pastors who are with us, uh, mega mysterion. Jerome, who was a fourth century church father and Bible scholar, translated the Greek into Latin. And when he did that, he used the word sacramental. His translation of mysterion was sacramentum, which, which means a divine or a holy thing. That's why the early Christian church called baptism and the Lord's Supper sacraments, divine or holy things. Now, marriage isn't a sacrament like baptism or the Lord's Supper, but it is a divine, holy thing. And if you want to see how seriously the Lord takes divine, holy things, read Ezekiel 22, verse 26. The priests paid the price for not distinguishing between common things and holy things, Ezekiel 22, 26. The gospel of Jesus helps us understand and practice marriage. And then marriage helps us understand and appreciate, because you don't practice the gospel, but appreciate the gospel. What happens? How does this look? Determine one result of the gospel on a marriage when one spouse fails to love. For example, and, and love is the actions of love. So I forget to call when I'm running late, or I just don't. I act in an unloving, uncaring manner. Or an, another scenario, one spouse experiences Jesus' love for sinners, receives grace in Holy Communion, for example. And because we're bumping up against our time limit here, I'm going to just answer some of these in a way that perhaps you're already thinking. A result of the gospel on a marriage when one spouse fails to love? Well, I have sinned too. And maybe that makes it easier for me to forgive, knowing that the Lord Jesus has forgiven me. Or maybe it also reminds me to put her first and think of that rather than being selfish and thinking only of myself. That's the gospel working in me. Or experience Jesus' love for sinners in communion as I receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of my sin. I am reminded I need this, and so does my spouse. And I receive this, and look, my spouse is receiving this too. This is the way Jesus has treated him or her 
that can change the way I treat him or her. But we're going to end with this because each one of these sessions that we have in Wells Marriage Enrichment and Getaway Weekends ends up getting boiled down to what are you going to do? And so based on what we've talked about tonight, here's your plan, your time to make our plan because of all that Jesus has done for me. One thing I want to do for you is, now just about 30 seconds or so to think, I'll tell you when that time is up and then invite you to turn to tell just your spouse. That's about 30 seconds. If you need more time, just tell your spouse, can, can we do this later? Or, But if you're ready to tell each other, now would be a good time. Turn to just each other. If you're a single person, uh, make some noise. Go talk with somebody else. Uh, but here's a good time for the couples to turn to each other and tell each other what you wrote. You have two minutes. Just to wrap this up tonight, the gospel helps us understand and practice marriage. 
marriage helps us understand and appreciate the gospel. Here's what you have done tonight. Discovered the mystery of marriage by recognizing marriage the way it is today, but determining the biblical secret for living together in marriage, the gospel. Mysterious marriage. Well, this has been one lesson from a six-lesson course called Mysterious Marriage. You'll see it occurring around the country. We invite you to participate in that and receive all of it. Next Wednesday, we'll take a lesson from Simply Marriage. Uh, one of the, the sessions of Simply Marriage is to help us appreciate our incompatibility. Now, we talked briefly about acknowledging our incompatibility, but what do we do with it? Well, there are helpful ways to appreciate our incompatibility, and that's what we'll do next Wednesday. Invite a friend. Invite a, another couple over. Uh, whatever you can do to spread the word and let God have his way with marriage. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, the gift of marriage and that uh, we might use it to give glory to you. And we trust that as we do that, you will use it to give joy to us. We thank you for your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.